Hey everyone, I'm your host and soul sister, Gretchen North. I'm a veteran health and wellness professional turned life coach. Sticky Situation is about getting unstuck so that we can get on living the lives we are meant to live. We'll share stories and advice, hear from experts, and even do some guest coaching to be reminded of living today with more awareness and inspiration, all in the spirit of creating a more fulfilling tomorrow. To get in touch, find me at gonorthcoaching.com. Let's get going. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited to welcome back Kate Mackin, the director of the Himalayan Institute and also an Ayurvedic health counselor. Kate, thanks so much for joining me again. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Today we're going to be talking about the sister science of yoga, which is Ayurveda. What does that mean, the sister science of yoga? I mean, it's seen in a couple different ways. One way you can think about it um, is that yoga practices are what we do to build our own individual self, make ourselves stronger, make ourselves feel more stable. Ayurvedic practices are more how we interact with the world around us. So a lot of Ayurveda is concerned with being in balance with nature, both our own nature and you know, working with the nature around us in a way that helps us stay balanced ourselves. Well, that sounds cool. Before we get into that, though, is there a definition, a working definition of Ayurveda that our listeners should understand? The science of life. Oh, that's huge. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's big. It's big. Just like yoga is big. Ayurveda is also very big. So it sounds like it has something to do with being in balance with nature. So how does one go about doing that? At its core, Ayurveda is concerned with the elements. So the elements that make up everything in our world, us and the things around us. So earth, water, fire, air, space, everything around us and in us is made of those components. And basically what makes us all unique is we have our own proportion that we're born with of that arrangement of elements. And what Ayurveda says is that we feel our best when we are closest to the proportion that we're born with. So um, we try to manage um, what we're taking in. So say if we are born with a lot of the fire element, for example, we're not going to ever just have the fire fire element. We're going to have all five elements in us, but the fire, fire element might be predominant. Well, if we go through our life and we don't have enough fire, we may feel dull or unengaged or a little disconnected. Uh, if we have, you know, if we use things with too much fire, so say spicy foods or maybe going, Um, for an intense run in the heat of the midday sun. You know, those kind of things are going to maybe take our fire way too high. And then um, we're going to feel out of balance that way too. So we all have all of the elements in us and that's predetermined. And then it's up to us to understand how to keep that balance that makes us unique. That's correct. So, I mean, basically what you're born with, the arrangement that you're born with is called your property. 
And that's super interesting for people to know because everybody wants to know, okay, what am I? Do I have a lot of fire? Do I have a lot of water? Am I an airy person? It's just fun to know that about ourselves and about others. But actually the science of Ayurveda concerns itself more with what element is out of balance. That's called our vikriti. Maybe you have, you know, you're a fiery person, but actually what's out of balance is you have too much air and space. So stress is usually an air and space, you know, misalignment or, and everybody has stress. Not everyone's an airy person, but that goes out of balance for all of us. So what's important when you're working with Ayurveda with a specific client is it's interesting to know their original makeup, but it's, it's more important to know what element is out of balance. How do people find out? Oh, well, Ayurveda, it's a good question. Ayurveda looks at symptoms. So if you would go to an Ayurvedic um, health counselor, you would be asked a lot of questions. How is your digestion? Do you have any rashes? A lot of times people will come and they'll have a reason that they're coming. Like, oh, I've been having acid reflux or my joints hurt. And those symptoms can indicate what element is out of balance. It's like a puzzle. Uh, That's why Ayurveda is so comprehensive. A lot of times, you know, in Western medicine, if you would go to the doctor because you have a skin rash, they would give you a cream to put on it that just addresses that rash on the skin. But what Ayurveda is going to do is say, okay, maybe you have a skin rash. Would you have any digestion issues? How are you sleeping at night? What is your level of activity? Have you gone through any changes in your work life? Like, so it puts it all together so you can figure out and address like the underlying cause of why you're getting that skin rash rather than just putting a cream on it to make it go away. And that being said, sometimes when you are out of balance, it's helpful to just get back in balance and then uncover the underlying thing. So it's not that Western medicine doesn't have its place because it does, but that's how we find out what's out of balance is we just look at the symptoms that we're experiencing. Like a lot of times someone will come and they'll, you know, say, I have a diagnosis of high blood pressure. As an Ayurvedic health counselor, that is interesting, but I actually would like to know more about what, how do they feel? What's that making them feel like? So maybe they're sweating a lot, or maybe they're out of breath, or maybe, you know, there's symptoms that go along with it. That's what I'm concerned about. I'm not really concerned about putting a name to what they have. It sounds like such a more holistic approach to managing and treating and understanding illness and disease. It is. And so importantly, there's not a differentiation between mind and body like there is in, you know, other approaches. The mind also has symptoms that can tell you a lot about what's happening. So everything is connected And you really take a whole picture to see what might be going on with someone. That seems like it would be so satisfying in particular for someone who knows something is wrong and can't understand the root cause. Mm -hmm. That might be a good time for someone to seek out an Ayurvedic health counselor over their 
primary care physician if they haven't been able to get answers. Yes. Sometimes feeling like something's wrong, not being able to put your finger on it. I also work with people that maybe have a serious diagnosis like cancer where they have a physician that's holding the case for them and they're working with a physician. And what I can do is help supplement with their doctor's approval uh, so that they can get relief from some of the symptoms of maybe the medications that they have to take or, you know, the digestive problems from those medications or their anxiety from just being in this position. So it can be a support to Western medicine or, you know, if it's less serious or mysterious, um, maybe Ayurveda would be the place to even just start there. And I know that the word doshas is thrown around a lot when people think of Ayurveda. Will you illuminate that for me? Dosha actually is it's a misleading word. Um, it actually means imbalance. There are three doshas. The five elements that we talked about combine to form the three doshas. So earth and water form one dosha called kapha. Water and fire form another dosha called pitta. And air and space form the last dosha called vata. So instead of looking at people and saying they have earth and water, or they have two main primary elements, we combine that to one dosha. It's even more complicated than that, really, because many people are not a single dosha. So many people aren't just kapha or earth and water. They're not just pitta fire and water, and they're not just vada, space and air. Um, you can have someone who's predominantly vada pitta, which the pitta and vada are very high and then have a little bit of kapha. The doshas are really interesting. Kapha, you know, earth and water, you think of the qualities of earth and water, and that's what, you know, these characteristics display. Earth is heavy. It's grounded it sometimes gets stuck. And these are the same qualities. And even mentally, like this kapha could be really grounded and they don't flit around as much. They tend to be very loyal people. They, you know, can be very um, organized as far as everything being in a chart or tidied up that everything has its space that those are all characteristics of kapha and then pitta and vada also have their own characteristics well you have to tell me what those are okay well <laughs> i will okay so pitta um since it's fire and water and usually the water and pitta you know if you think about water and kapha it's a cool like spring is kapha time so it's a cool water the water in Pitta is oily. The fire spreads. So if you have, like like I was talking about before, a skin rash, um, a lot of times they'll spread. Like I have a friend right now with poison ivy, and it's just spreading. Something will get a little bit better, and then it will show up somewhere else. Um, that's a quality of fire. That's one of the characteristics of Pitta. Also, just very hot. We have terms for people that might be pitic, like hothead, fireball, <laughs> you know, someone, you get this idea that, you know, they're very determined. They're very sharp. Pittas make really good leaders because they have a way of directing and managing and leading and they're very productive. So, um, 
those are some of the qualities of Pitta. Now, Vada is the air and space. You think about airy, spacey people. We have words for those too, like airhead and space cadets. And <laughs> that's, I don't think having a little Vada myself, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because people that are airy and spacey are also very creative. They are musicians or are artists or are poets. Um, they have this like whimsical nature. Uh, and it also shows up in their body. Vada people, airy people can be like a little bit more slender and light sometimes um, when balanced. Pitta people tend to be more of a medium build and they might have reddish tone, like um, reddish hair or freckles and usually sharp piercing eyes for Pitta people. Kapha people, they always, you know, traditionally in Ayurveda have been the most beautiful because they have a lot of moisture in them. They, they can tend to be a larger build. They age really well because they don't get dried out as fast. They have a lot of moisture um, because of that water element in them. You know, in traditional Ayurveda, really everyone was trying to be more beautiful by being more Kothic. In America, um, they don't want to be Kothic because they as uh, associate being Kothic with being, you know, maybe overweight. You know, we always want to be healthy and balanced. Kothic people tend to have really big eyes too, um, really pretty um, big eyes, soft skin, because they have enough moisture um, and really thick hair. So it's just very interesting. It presents differently in the body too. So based on the characteristics of each of the dosha that you're explaining, do you think that listeners are self-identifying? Do you think that that's enough for them to go by to understand what dosha they are? I think it's interesting to think about that way, but that might not be complete enough. There are definitely dosha quizzes online. One of my favorite companies is Banyan Botanicals. They have not only a property quiz, which shows like maybe what you were closest to when you were born. They also have a Vicarity quiz, which is going to show where you're out of balance. You can go to banyanbotanicals.com and you can find these quizzes. And that might be a little bit more comprehensive than just going by what I said. I, although I think people have an idea of what they are. Sometimes we have some blind spots with ourselves. So you may not see some things. I, for example, I was, you know, always thought I was super fiery and that is still true, but I didn't realize until I worked with a, you know, health counselor and took tests that almost as much air and space Vada as I have Pitta. You can think about it yourself, but sometimes the tests are, are helpful. If you're just not seeing yourself, we all see ourselves a certain way. And, you know, maybe our friends or family would see us somewhat differently. So these tests are a more objective assessment. If people are imbalanced and noticing symptoms, what are the avenues for getting back into balance? Well, daily routines are really important in Ayurveda. So there are certain things that it's just depending on what part is out of balance, what what daily routines they might choose. But there are some that are common sense to everyone. A lot of treatments have to do with eating. One way we take in things from the world around us is we eat, we eat food. People do things that kind of put them out of balance with food. So a lot of it's really unique, but there are some basic things that, you know, you could say work for everyone. 
a lot of Ayurveda are things that you might have heard before or just make sense. However, you might not be doing them. Like one thing, for example, is because your body digests at night and cleans at night, you would not, you would avoid eating a couple hours before you went to bed. So we hear a lot today about intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding. And it may not be as restrictive, but, you know, generally from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. in Ayurveda, you're not really taking any food. Generally, you eat a little bit more towards the earlier part of the day rather than late at night. Again, so you have time and the sun's at the highest point in the middle of the day. Um, if you think about your, your digestion as your internal fire, um, that's at its highest at the middle of the day. So that's when you would eat your big meal. So there are certain things that um, you may have heard before and make sense. And those are easy things that we, we might use as suggestions. And then there are things that are unique to the individual and, and your individual constitution. I like it because it's never like, oh, this is good and this is bad. Uh, in Ayurveda, they say everything can be a medicine or a, po a poison, depending on how you use it and who is using it. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, so say, let's take popcorn, for example, because like a lot of people love popcorn. Popcorn's great. And it might be a nice snack, but it's popped. Corn filled with air. So Vada people might not be so good tolerating a lot of popcorn because they're already airy and ungrounded. They might do better with a piece of like almond butter toast or something to hold them down. Whereas a coffee person could probably eat popcorn as a snack and, and do just fine. It really depends on your, your constitution, how you're made up, but also what's bothering you right now too. In the winter, one major cause of imbalance in Ayurveda is not eating the right thing for the right time of year or the right climate. Those are things that we look at because a lot of people do those kinds of things like greens are good for us, vegetables are good for us, and they are. However, like if you have a person that's really rigid and nervous and cold and in the middle of the winter they're eating carrot sticks and celery that could put them out of balance that could that, that's not they need something warm and nourishing you've mentioned the seasons a couple of times is, is there a rhyme or reason to how ayurveda plays into the seasons all the times whether it's time of day or seasons um they have their own dosha because there are three doshas <laughs> mainly there are three seasons instead of four around September, you know, the heat of the summer is over. The air gets drier. Um, things are kind of withering. That is Vata time, according to Ayurveda. And that's when we do start to eat these warming foods in the fall. Pumpkins come out. Pumpkins are heavy and Vata is airy and, airy and spacey. So the heavy foods are gonna help ground that. Vata season goes all the way to like February. Vata's cold, and then it turns into kapha, and kapha is also cold. Kapha extends from February really all the way through spring until like May. Kapha is wet, heavy, and cool. As the, the snow starts to melt, everything's sloshy and cold. Everything's still really heavy and wet in the spring. 
And that's why it's, you know, kapha time. And then summer from May to September is pitta time. Lots of fire, lots of heat in the air and, and pitta time. Um, we think about things that are going to cool us off. Ayurveda has lots of great ideas. You know, we can make like aloe is a really nice thing because it's astringent. And so it takes out some of that oily heat of, uh, of pitta. So you can make a, a drink with aloe, a little maple syrup, lime, and water. And that instantly cools you down. A lot of times this time of year, we go out and we sit in the sun. We sunbathe because we love the sun. I love the sun. But for pit pitic imbalances and being too hot, Ayurveda recommends is moon bathing. Sitting in the light of the cool moon. And that sounds um, soothing and relaxing even when you think about it when it's really hot it really does there's also a rhythm according to the you know 24 hours in the day the daily clock yes there is between 10 and 2 both in the middle of the day and in the evening is pitta time so in the middle of the day from 10 to 2 the sun is at its highest your digestion as i said before is at your highest so you would be doing things that were appropriate for that time of day. In the evening from 10 to 2, you want to be sleeping because your body is cleaning. <laughs> so there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, and then between 2 to 6, both in the middle of the night and in the afternoon is Vata time. It's air and space. So you might notice that like maybe in the afternoon in these hours, you become a little spacey. Um, maybe if you're giving a presentation, you'll reach for the, the words and they won't be there. <laughs> um, or if you're sitting in a presentation, you might be drifting off. That's because it's really a spacey, airy time. And same thing in the middle of the night. Like when people come and they say, oh, I can fall asleep easily, but then I wake up more in the middle of the night because it's a really light sleep in that time. Things are lighter. So a lot of times people won't, they, they'll just, because everything in the environment is lighter, they'll, they'll start to wake up. They'll start to pop up. And then six to 10, both in the morning and in the evening is kapha time. So in the morning, the kapha has some more solidity to it. So that's when we're getting up, doing our morning routines, maybe starting our day at work and doing these things that require um, a little bit more diligence and oomph. And then in the evening, you know, that heavy grounded time is a lot of times when we're spending time with our family, maybe eating dinner, spending time with our family. So like I said, there's just this like connection, loyalty, um, groundedness in those times. If people were trying to use this Ayurvedic clock to influence some of their habits, they might want to be in bed by 10 p.m., be up around 6, try to eat your heaviest meal. Yeah, like there are certain things that I think about, like, say, exercise. Like we talked about maybe going out in the heat of the day and going running is not a good idea. Well, when would be a good time to go? Basically, during kapha time, you have a little bit more natural heaviness. I always think about athletes. One of the best athletes, I'm not saying it doesn't ever happen in other groups, but are pitta kaphic people. 
because they have enough drive with their pitta, but they have enough cushioning around their joints with their kapha. Because a lot of times the rest of us wear out if we don't have some kapha when we're exercising because it's just, it gets too depleting. So if you're going to exercise, I would exercise between six and 10 in the morning and then again, between six and 10 at night. Yeah. So Kate, how do you personally use that clock to inform your own routines? Definitely. I eat at the times where my digestion is the highest. But also, for example, a lot of times we talked about that being spacey, spacey time in the afternoon. I do a relaxation technique, something where I deeply relax during that time because my body needs it and not for a long time. You know, I don't advise to nap for really more than 20 minutes, but taking 20 minutes in that, in that Vata time, um, that's one thing that I do pretty you know, pretty regularly to feel a little bit more rested. I don't work against that spacey time. I just let myself go to sleep. Yeah, I find myself doing a lot of my work early in the morning. Like I'm probably productive right up till around 11 o'clock in the morning. And then I, I seem to be done for the day. You know, I might do my, you know, kind of bigger meetings and heavier lifting uh, in the morning. Uh, and I'll still do some projects, like maybe, you know, little lighter projects um, through the afternoon. But usually by six o'clock at night, I'm just, my work for the day is done. And I'm just hanging out and, you know, being with my family. Well, I love how nature informs these rhythms. And if we succumb to what's naturally happening, then we don't need to fight against productivity or feeling guilty or, you know, like we should be doing more because this is kind of, it sounds like it's like predetermined. Yeah. It's like, the, you know, go with the flow. It's easier. <laughs> you know, we always say that, but you know, you think about when you, you kind of fight against it, it doesn't feel good and you don't, you're not always more productive. You know, you, a lot of times if you work when it's natural to work, you actually get more done. And I've done some experiments, you know, just in my own life about work and rest. And what I have learned when I give myself enough time to rest and, and I've really experimented, I've just sat there for a long time, not doing anything thinking, will I ever feel like getting up? And let me tell you, there always is a time where I want to then do something. I want to engage. So it's starting to like, pay attention to your own cues rather than to what the tapes you might be playing in your mind to yourself or what the culture is telling you, or there are times where your body's going to want to rest. And there are times when you're going to want to interact and, you know, be productive and contribute. And when you're not forced at times that you don't want to, it, it feels much better. I love the invitation for people to experiment with that and to take the cues from the environment. I, as you're speaking, I'm thinking about how in winter things are dormant and then they come to life in the spring. And, you know, maybe if we're informing something we're working on to, to give us ourselves some space to kind of be dormant and then trust that we'll get that surge of energy to take on the next thing. 
Right. Really, if we watch nature, it's, you know, it's so intelligent. Like, you would not expect a rose to bloom in the middle of winter. This life intelligent force, you know, when a plant gets so much sun or so many days of cold, each unique plant, they kind of unfold, they bloom, they reproduce at the right time. It happens on its own. You know, maybe sometimes a little guidance here or there, but I always think about um, babies too. Like babies, you know, pretty much they go through the same stages in the first year. They kind of roll onto their bellies. They start to push up, maybe start to crawl, um, you know, hold on to things, pull themselves up and then start walking. And, you know, they all do it maybe a little bit before a year, maybe a year and a half, but generally they all do it and we don't worry about it so much, you mm -hmm. know, and like every child goes through, you know, young childhood, middle childhood, you know, starting to go to adolescence and we never really, we just trust that that's working out because we've seen it and we've been there ourselves. And then when we get to be an adult, we don't trust that anymore. We don't trust that we're unfolding it exactly the right way. And I think, you know, when we start to pay attention to the cues around us, we are. We are doing it exactly right. That's so important for people to hear um, because we resist it. We put those undue pressure on ourselves to do more and more and more and the invitation here is to trust the unfolding that we are in a sense being guided. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, love it. The key to Ayurveda is our own self-awareness. We start to pay attention. We start, we're our own little laboratories and we start to realize what works for us. And sometimes we get a little help from the people around us or from even the herbs and, you know, plants and flowers around us. Um, but uh, we're the ones who are really becoming sensitive to how that's affecting us. That's going to be the key. If somebody listening is interested in maybe having a consultation or, or learning more, do you offer a consultation? How, what, what does the experience of working with you look like? Um, yes, I do work with different clients. Sometimes, you know, there's always an initial consultation where um, a client will come in and we'll go through a series of questions because I really need to find out a lot about how things are working for them and then deciding what they want to work on or what is, you know, sometimes people just want to, you know, clean up their diet or, you know, sometimes it's more serious where, you know, they're, they're working on a medical issue that they need, you know, support with. Um, but whatever it is, I'll give a couple suggestions and depending on the individual and what they want, you know, they'll try it out for a while and maybe come back in a month or six weeks and we'll talk about it and see how it's going, see if anything needs to be adjusted and, and go from there. Is there a recommended number of visits with you to achieve different outcomes? They're really, it really depends. You know, I've worked on things like fertility with women. And then once the woman gets pregnant, then that was the goal. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um, 
but then there might be someone who always needs, you know, accountability. So they're going to want to come back every month and make sure they stay on track. Um, you know, during a really stressful time, a lot of times that's when we don't feel like we have time for the self care and taking care of ourselves, but that's actually when people need a little bit more support. So it really just depends on what the goal is for the session or goal is for, you know, um, the treatment. Okay. And how can they find you if they're interested in booking with you? You can email kate.e.mackin, M-A-C-K-I-N, at gmail.com. Uh, I'm at the Himalayan Institute. So the website there is H-I-P-Y-O-G-A.org, hipyoga.org. So either way, that will put you back to me so that you can email me or get a hold of me. Well, thank you so much. I know that you have sparked curiosity in many people. So that's a wrap. If you have suggestions for future topics or would like to work through a sticky situation of your own, shoot me an old school email at gonorthcoaching at gmail or check out my other offerings at gonorthcoaching.com. If you're listening, chances are we know each other and I'm so grateful for your support. Please help me spread the word by sharing, liking, rating, subscribing. Any and all of the things are so appreciated. See you next time.